afternoon, good evening, and good night. And? Go listen to the Danger Mouse Black Thought album if you have not yet. Everyone, welcome aboard. It's uh, time for one app. As promised, Sypha Sound's not here today. At this point, I don't even know if Sypha's actually busy or whether we just decided that he was getting the off day, so he was taking it no matter what. We don't know exactly how Sife's like um, recording schedule works, and I don't think he knows until a couple days before, but we had planned on this week to figure some things out. So, special guest popping on to join me right now, and then we're going to have a special guest, uh, perhaps another one later in this show, another one for the Patreon as well. So, we're out here hustling, everyone, trying to make it happen. Um, hope everyone's doing fantastic. Hope everyone enjoyed the little uh, bonus content we hit you with last week, the Tracy Morgan, uh, whatever you want to call that. And uh, after that, the bonus episode with Snoop Dogg and Daz, where we talked about Nate Dogg. So yeah, the, the Tracy thing was just last week he showed up with Time to Kill in such a, he was in such a zone that the way he showed up, I was like, I can't waste this guy's time. You know, like it's there. It's my, my uh, Ballard, my friend Ballard hit me after I posted the picture with Tracy Morgan and he hit me. He was like, yo, bro, sometimes I'm, I'm jealous of your life. Um, it was like a video of, of hanging with Tracy outside the studio. And it, and it was a nice moment, you know, and Ballard's one of my best friends, but like it was a nice moment for me to stop and go, oh yeah, sometimes I forget how cool this gig is. Like I'm used to the fact that I have interviewed Tracy Morgan a countless amount of times, you know, um, including multiple times on one app. I think multiple times on one app, but I, I, that's the thing. I can't keep track. There've been so many times on 97. Syph and I've had so many different run-ins with him in different ways. Um, and I was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. Speaking of, uh, of pretty cool. I mean, listen, you guys listen to the podcast, most of you. And again, shout out to everyone listening right now to the free episode. We love you. We appreciate you. We super appreciate our uh, patrons as well. And we're, we're, we're finally getting close to that 700 mark. I, I hope this is the week that we crack 700 for the first time. But we're, we're thankful to everyone who's on the patreon.com slash one up is life and everyone who just listens for free every week. I wonder if our guest today is a, is a patron. I guess it, Billy June would know. Billy June, do you know if our if our surprise fill in for Scythe is a patron? He was. Now I'm going to check to see if he still is. <laughs> that would be upsetting if we lost him. I remember seeing it and screenshotting it. And I go, I don't think this is fake. Well, don't sound like a creep, bro. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A Juan Epper came up to me last night. Billy, do you know, what happened yesterday? I went to the closing of the Knitting Factory. Uh, Hannibal Burris closed it out with his live band. He rapped and a uh, random dude walked by me. Yo, Billy June, love the pod. Keep doing it. I was like, what? And my friend next to me was like, what just happened? And I was like, 
Oh, this is a one up. So that's that wasn't the first time it's happened. Every time you have, it kind of surprises me because I don't think people know what I look like. Have you ever considered that like you're just so weird and awkward that they're like that could only be Billy June? No. Speaking of random cool shit, I know not everyone's on social media because a lot of one eppers have a life and aren't doing that. I posted today uh, this commercial spot I did with 2K Sports for the new PGA Tour 2K23. And uh, super cool. It, it was a funny little small cameo. There's a shot of me saying the following words. Play the game your way. You know how good that is. Play the game your way. And then immediately after that, they show like a digital version of me, a, a, a game made version of me, which looks much more like a thin Ebro or Drake, probably. But we're going to take it and call that Peter Rosenberg. Yeah, it was just super cool, man. Like I went out there and did that. Um, trying to remember. I'm sure I talked about recently going to L.A. And that was the purpose. Oh, and look, Cypher Sounds is here. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Mark Ronson. Cypher Sounds has Mark Ronson as a fill-in. This is like a double accomplishment for Cypher. Not only can he feel good that he's shooting his TV show with LL Cool J, but he has Mark Ronson to fill in for him. Pretty good. Yeah, unfortunately, now the show is just Epstein. I know. <laughs> Which, by the way, not a great name for a show. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. How <laughs> yeah. are you? It's such a pleasure. You know, it's uh, such a last-minute thing. And, of course, uh, I'm such a fan of the show. I'm at, like, a kind of late... Late discover of it, as, as I told you. But uh, how, wait, how late? R- remind me, because I mean, we spoke to you like a couple of years ago when we first got back doing this again. But how late a discoverer of it were you? Probably when you called me to ask me about the Nas, the first album, I think you called me. And I was like, what that? What is Rosenberg <laughs> calling me about? I just, you know, one of those. It was certainly I was happy about it, but I, 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 I don't remember I was ever speaking on the phone. And uh, and so I picked up and, and I think, oh, yeah, I should listen to that. I love those guys. They're very funny. And so I listened to that episode and then I was just hooked. And I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts either. You know, so it's like it's a it's a fucking hilarious. It it suits my grumpy golden age. <laughs> shit, All of it, you know? Yeah, uh, I really, really appreciate that, dude. You are you are by far you are by far our coolest, most successful, richest super fan that we have so we we deeply appreciate as Saif and I are constantly aspiring to be better we deeply appreciate having you on board I I was I was like googling you before because like you just like sort of occupy a space in my head but I don't necessarily think about like researching you because I'm like oh we'll have Mark jump on and we'll just be two Jews talking hip-hop shit and can speak meta one ep language because he listens to the show yeah and then the thing that popped me the most was this is so basic, and every celebrity has this, but the, the shit on Google that says people also ask. Have you ever looked at your people also ask? No, I, I've said I've, the only one that I saw was like, is like the questions asked, right? But no, tell me, what is it? All say? right, well, the first one is, is Mark Ronson a nice guy? That's the one. That's the one that I saw. And it's 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 bizarre because I that seems like a fair question, but I've never seen that about any other uh, person, you know? Well, well that's a weird to, thing. Well, so how I guess the point is like how nice a guy must you be where that's your brand? People are like, so yeah. so is that Mark Ronson really a nice guy? 
is he really that nice? Yeah, I guess so. I, I get a lot of like, is does Mark Ronson sing? That's one. Because okay, no, seem- I'm, I'm going to get to the others. Hold on. Uh, okay, there's, there's sorry, a, sorry. I laughed no, no. multiple times at this. Okay, okay so uh, the first okay. one is Mark Ronson, a nice guy. They quote a Guardian article, of course, a Brit that you are, um, famously a nice guy. He also has a reputation for making quite heavy weather of the business of being himself. Well, I, oh, yeah. That's, that's not exactly the, the, the words I would use to describe it, but I think that sounds accurate. That's an English way of saying he's a neurotic Jew. I but, think it's exactly what that means. <laughs> I mean, it's just like he's always saying like, oh, he's, he should be happier. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that's kind of what they're saying. Is that, is that, a, is that a British saying, the, the, uh, quite heavy weather? Yeah, I think, it, like, uh, I think it's just a kind of intellectual way of saying like he, he sounds like it's always it's very hard to be him or he should be a, going around just like fucking groupies and having a good time why is he right but he can't thinking so much but he can't because yeah. he's a jew that's what's all layered in there got it yeah, yeah. um okay uh, okay it's so boring one what is mark ronson's most famous song um uptown funk is number one of course uh what is mark ronson's accent is is uh fourth on here i get a lot of shit for that see I was born in England. I feel like every time I'm like justifying it, like I'm still so defensive. But <laughs> well, Mark, how old you, Mark, how old are you? Now? You're like 47 years old. Right? I'm 80 years old. I'm 80. I'm actually older than most of the countries I've lived in. And no. you're still explaining your accent. All right, keep going. Go ahead. I'll give us well, the spiel. I want this, the speech. This is the thing. And because a lot of people, like whether it's like Chris Lighty or DJ Scissorhands who know me from a certain era, always give me shit when I, when, when I see that, I'll explain why I grew up in, uh, in England. I moved here when I was eight and I moved here when I was eight and people said, you know, what's your fucking accent? You said, what are you a commie? Cause this was like peak red scare. <laughs> and like, uh, their only option was commie. That was the only, only choice. Option. And yeah. I couldn't like, was, you know, obviously it was like, well, I'm from England, not Estonia, but nobody really gave a shit. <laughs> so I quickly tried to sound American. So by the time I go back to England for my first, literally three months later, Christmas holiday, I see all my English friends and they're like, mate, why you sound like such a yank? Like I could, I every, already like could not make my accent Wait, work and you're, for and wherever you're, I live. You're how old? Eight years old. So at eight, you're already now split in the, I'm not quite an American and I'm not quite a Brit. Yeah. And you just say every word weird, tomato, tomato, bath, whatever. So when I went back to live in England after, you know, making my name as a, as a DJ in clubs in New York City, and when I had this thing in the late 2000s, I was back in England, and my English accent really came back. So people started to see me on TV who only knew me as a New Yorker, sounding like very like, oh, and then I was with Amy, like, whatever. I can't even do it now, because I'm literally doing like a Liverpudlian accent now. But people would just give me so much shit. So when I see... Now that I live back in New York and I run into some of those people, I just get a lot of shit. Whatever. Who cares? I, 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 no, no. I find it immensely entertaining because I, 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 without a doubt, I'm just being completely transparent. Whenever I first talked to you, and I, I don't remember when that was, 10, 15, no, it must be closer to 15 years ago when Saif and I were getting started. I remember having at least funny thoughts about your accent like oh come on dude are you really yeah. a brit now keep in mind yeah. i hadn't at that point done any five seconds of basic research that are like no he's yeah. born in england moved to new york there's a lot of reasons why you would have a weird accent i just went right to i love the guy but he's obviously an industry douchebag who just talks with the british accent yeah no i mean i think of all the people that i've laughed at on t- like madonna Joss oh Stone, madonna's like, the like, ba- madonna's the, the classic 
what's up with that accent? And, and it's just like, it's, it's just some fucking adaptability survival shit that's in all of our DNA to like fit in or something. But this is it. This is who you are now. I don't think it's changing at this point. I hope not. That would be fucking nuts. Um, so you grew up on the Upper West Side, right? I did. Where yeah. exactly? On 90th and Riverside. What was 90th and Riverside like back in the, I guess, early 90s? Very nice. I mean, it was just like what it was. Like, it was just all like kind of uh, a lot of Jews in my building, I remember. So it sounds the exact uh, same as it is right now. I think so. Then I moved down to, we moved to 74th and Central Park West for a little while. My stepdad was a very successful rock star. He was doing very well. And then he had a, an accountant that took all the money. So then we moved back uptown. But um, actually, it was uh, Bert Padel, who you probably know from numerous rap lyrics and stuff. Wait, that's who that's whose apartment it was? No, no, that was his account. Remember oh, that's our sorry. That's your that cash was your... my cash, Bert Padel. Oh, yeah. Wow. He was like the kind of music industry accountant and obviously for Puffy and Big and everybody. But he was kind of notoriously really bad at filing taxes. So, <laughs> you know. Now. Your your stepfather was in Foreigner. Yeah. yeah. Did I, I don't I apologize if we had this conversation fifteen years ago, but even if we did, no one would know. Did you talk to him about Cold as Ice when the sample came through? I did. In fact, um I think they were having some problems with the with the sample and at that time, you know, just from DJ New York, I knew Scott Free and Matt Life and all those guys from Loud and they called me and they're like, Hey, we're having trouble putting this sample from your pop. So I was like, Oh, cool. So I call I told my stepdad, I was like, Hey, this is a great band, you know, they should you should clear it. It's a cool use of the sample. So they're like, Cool. I mean, I think my stepdad did some like very old school rock and roll shit and was just like took a hundred percent of the publishing. It's like the kind of thing that me being on the other end of, I'd be like, these fucking, you know, rock old rock and rollers, they don't <laughs> understand hip hop. But the fact was it was the same name as the song. There was some reasons. But I took my stepdad to the video shoot to meet Billy and Fame okay. and like okay. go this is good wherever yeah. wherever they shot in the bar, I think. And at the time my stepdad was you know, he's been sober for many years, but was still hitting the bottle. And I think him and one of the group were just like getting just pissed at the bar, like having a great time. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, was he was, was nice. he pleased with it? Because I really think Cold as Ice, it, as far as like aggressive sort of obvious 80s samples go, yeah. I think Cold as Ice is one of one of the it's, better ones ever done. It's really up there. And in England, especially where it was like a top, three maybe pop hit like because in england the charts are sort of wild and like especially before the streaming area much more unpredictable and you could have like a song the fact that a song like cold as ice went to number three on the pop charts is kind of amazing and same with dead prez hip-hop like just just weird shit can can be a pop hit there but it is and it's still one of their biggest if who, you were gonna did, go who, play like cold a festival ice? i don't know actually i think one of them did it i think it's a, i think it's in-house let's see let's see. just gonna say produced by mop is that what we're saying? Yeah, maybe, maybe one of the, maybe it even just said Billy. Uh, Let's see, MOP Warriors. God, what a great album too. If any, if anyone out there listening for some reason is a Wanap fan who's like, I never spent time with a full MOP album. Uh, my personal opinion is there are a few to listen to, but I think if you're going to listen to one, it's it's this one. Um, let's see, Cold as Ice, produced by Lil Fancy, produced by Fizzy Womack. Well done. Yeah. So, yeah, shouts to Lil Fame. Wow, that's fantastic. I did not realize that. Um, okay, hold on. Back to some of the questions on, on Google about uh, Mark Ronson. Okay. Who is the white guy in Bruno Mars? 
incredible. Yeah. That yeah. is the one. <laughs> I think I think I might have even started that one because it, very early on in the in the Uptown Funk, you know, campaign when it started to do well, but I was pretty much I never had a hit really as a solo artist, so no one knew who I was. The photographer came to shoot me from like the eight Associated Press, like just a random thing, and he told me on the way to work that day, his wife was like, honey, who are you going to shoot today? And he was like, uh, uh, the white guy in the Bruno Mars video. And that was, I think I like told that story and then it just stuck and it is perfect. It is a perfect description of who I am. And <laughs> I'm fine to have that on my epitaph. Well, by the way, um, how, that was 2009? 14. Uh, 2014, wow, it's almost, what a, yeah. eight years ago, okay. So, oh, so Bruno's already a big star. You, you, you had that record done when Bruno was already a couple of albums in. Yeah, we worked together on the second album. I co-produced Lock Out of Heaven, Moonshine Gorilla, and and I was just went straight into my record, and it was just like the stars lined up. We could that we could have been in his album, making his album, made that song. It just happened that he was like, "This is my boy Mark. I want to help him make something good," uh, <sighs> and that was it. And it was just such a crazy. It took seven months. It was like. There was a lot of times that that song really fell apart in the lab and I would wait a month till everybody like stopped being angry at each other, you know, because I was the one with the most skin in the game. It was for my record and be like, hey, you guys want to get back together and <laughs> see if we can resurrect that idea that we liked. And but uh, it was yeah, it was crazy finishing that one. Uh, by the way, dude, you have a full I did not know this till today. And this is obvious, I guess. Now looking at it, I feel like a fool, but. You have a, not only your Wikipedia page, but you have a list of awards and nominations uh, Wikipedia page. That might as well be called the Uptown Funk page, I think. <laughs> I mean, actually, there's there is some back to black on there, and of course, but I think that. that well, I was going to say, and also half good. of it, half of it is um, we all the Brits literally never stop giving awards. I mean, they won an award show every three days if they can have one. Yeah, you got Mobos, you got Brits, you got everything yeah. on there. But dude, you also have an Academy Award. That is something wild that I would never, ever in a billion years think that I would say. But what, did, did you write that record? What did you do on Shallow? Shallow. Yeah, I co-wrote it. I, did, I actually didn't produce it. You didn't produce yeah. it. You just co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. With Gaga? With Gaga and, and two of my friends that I write with a lot. Andrew White and Anthony Rosamundo. So, so that's, uh, I have two wedding songs. And in England, I have three if you count Valerie. It's pretty fucking nuts. <laughs> I was thinking about when you did the Kate Slate uh, Memorial uh, show, and I was thinking like in some weird thing for like Slam Magazine or Double XL or some magazine that doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, do those magazines still exist? I don't mean to be. I weird. don't think Slam Magazine exists. Okay. And I, Double I, XL exists, but fuck, you know how I feel. Fuck Double XL. Keep going. Okay, so I yeah, but there was a weird thing where you know Kate Slate and I interviewed each other. And and also because I worked with Saigon, you know, Saigon yes, was very course. much a drama king favorite. So oh, yeah. I would go up occasionally on that show. But, would, but would he talk I to just, you? Would he like, would yeah, he, yeah. he'd bring you on air? Would he talk to me and make me sit in the corner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I did. And, uh, and I'm just uh, trying to picture I, your accent fitting in with I Drama King, just, who had the best disc record, LL Cool J, Cool Mo D. Uh, wait, this is at Hot or at Serious? Hot. Okay. This is hot. This is 2003, so I was still sounding fully New York. Okay, okay, um, got it, got it. Yeah, but he, I remember he always talked about this thing, and you might know this too. He said he always called it the save your ass crate. 
he was talking about like his rec, his go-to records when in, you know, whatever it's a fucking, this is 20 years ago. So it could have been Simon says by Farrah Mantra. I want you back. I have no idea. Right. But I always think of those, like as a DJ, all those predicaments I've been in where like, fuck, I just wish I knew what to play right now where you're like, maybe not like your, your regular crowd, but a wedding or corporate or some shit. And every now and then I'm like, damn, I, I gave, I gave the DJs two of those records. Well, definitely not shallow. You're not going to play that in your DJ set, but, but, but you could, you in, could at a wedding. In this country, I have one. I keep like bringing it down, <laughs> knocking it down. You were at three, two seconds ago. How do you feel when you hear Uptown Funk? Like when, when you're the artist who made a song that's ubiquitous, like Uptown Funk at this point, Mark, and I say this with the utmost respect, when I hear it, it's not even like I'm hearing it. It's just it's yeah, just yeah. a thing that exists. And yeah. I have the same thing that crossed my mind is like, what was the story with Trinidad James in this song again? And then yeah. like and that's it. But it's it's just a part of our lives. What how does it affect you when you hear it? It's the same. You know, there's records that you make that I mean, with most records, you're actually sick of it before it even comes out. Right. I mean, that record we were knocking back and forth for seven months and just every single inception produced it with jeff basker who did all of 808s and and a lot of dark twisted just an incredible producer so the three of us are also fucking persnickety and specific about what we like and bickering and all this shit anyway like to get one song to pass muster with all three of us was already like a fucking you know a wonderful but serious undertaking and test of wills and patience but um no i mean that record uh you know i'm what what it's so crazy to me, which is which is the best part is like when I see these like random things, because I also like Cypher Sounds get Google alerts and I see these like studies that like a song to listen to when you're down or what to do when you're down at work. And it's like a list of songs you can listen to uh, <laughs> breathing techniques. I can't believe that this song has like it represents I mean, probably not to you who like wants to slit your wrist when you hear it, but in some ways like. <laughs> For a lot of people, it's like it's like joy or something like right. it's, it's like for regular people. It's like the thing that like lifts them up. And, and occasionally when I'm DJing, I don't even want to play it anymore. And, and you know, if I'm playing in a, a hip hop party in New York, I'm not going to fucking play Uptown Funk, of course. But even at some point, like I don't want to play it because I feel like the crowds are going to be like, oh, really? It's 2014, eight years later, you're still playing like that like that's the only thing you have left when really for regular people they want to hear it they like, want to hear it and and it, and now it's like it's like the three-year-olds that was the thing like after the first year of it like getting like being like a, a hit that people like then it became song that kids like now those kids who are three are like whatever i don't know 10 or 11 i'm not like i'm djing for 11 year olds that often <laughs> but but i'll see like i'll be no judgment some... mark no judgment dude do whatever you gotta yeah. do to get a check you know I'll be playing some random party and I'll just see it like maybe 13, 14 year old kids. Yeah. Just like go nuts. And then sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes it really is. And I have to like play it. There's nothing worse than clearing the dance floor with a song that you actually made. Like as a DJ, it was, it's the clearing the dance floor. It sucks, period. I mean, it's a terrible feeling. As a producer, clearing the dance floor with a song that you made. Or, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm writing this book about the 90s and the club scene right now. So I'm really reliving a lot of that shit. And it's funny. You're playing a song that everyone knows the words to, like a Dwick in that era, right? Okay. When everybody be like, I the mic, like the Pim Pim's host. 
if you turn it off, the crowd singing yeah. makes you feel like you have something to do Correct. with it. Right? Correct. It's, that is an important feeling as a DJ to, to explain. A, yes. It's a great feeling, but really it's not you. It's no. it's actually, they're singing along because they love the song. Correct. If you turn it off and they don't sing, then it is all you. It has nothing to do with the song not being popular. This is now your fault. You've taken something that was good and you've ruined <laughs> and you it. you fucked it. You fucked it. So... I don't know what that had to do with what you're talking about, but I, 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 I love, I loved how we got there though. What, wait, how, uh, what year were you, what year were you in clubs in a real way for the first time? The first time I was in a club, like just as a, just punter, as they say in my motherland, uh, <laughs> probably 92, but 93, I actually started playing. So that was my senior year of high school. 93 is when I started DJing kind of like, you know, high school parties, house parties, whatever. By 94, I was opening for like Stretch and Jules and people downtown, which is cool. And then 95, 96, I kind of like, that's when I was kind of fully like popping. And and I was weirdly like never a better DJ than I was probably at 24. Like I just peaked in 99, I think. So isn't that, isn't that, by the way, you know what, Mark? That's, that's so cool you brought that up. I was listening to... A mix of mine. I, I recently reconnected my mini disc player. So I've been popping in random mini discs of my old college radio show and like whatever just random mix I made. My I made a birthday mix, like a 1999 birthday mix, meaning I, back in the day when I would do this, it was a party mix essentially for a party that didn't really exist. Like I would say it was for my birthday. But oh, like, I know, yeah, what I know would, those mix as well. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, this is my birthday. Here's the mix. Would it actually become a party? Ah, maybe a few people come over and I make them all sit and listen to it. But the funny thing is I was listening to it and some of it, I was like, yo, at this stage, I knew the records backwards and forwards. My cuts were actually finally getting a little bit crisp and I knew how to blend. Yeah, I was I think I was better at 22, 23 than I am right now. That's that's yeah. a little depressing. I, I was I was at that moment. I was playing five nights a week. Not only the fact that like it was Puffy and Jay and everybody in the club and like and that was the best. Music. So it was in New York where because my taste is a little bit more commercial than yours anyway. But like I I, I was I knew the record so well. It was probably the only time when my taste of my favorite records was right in sync with what the best and hottest shit was. And mm. I could just look in any room like the Terminator when the Terminator looks in and goes did, 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 like does the scan. I did the predator noise, but I meant the Terminator yep. and I <laughs> and I and I just knew how to kill any room. And yeah, and I was doing I had, you know, all that shit practicing mixing my room and then AM came along and that was just it. Like I AM took. I stole from everybody. Everybody borrows a little bit. AM came, and at one point, we were about the same skill level. <laughs> I was checking him out in LA, and I was like, yeah, that's he, he mixes Stevie Wonder out of Biggie like I do, blah, blah, blah. And then he just stayed in his room for a year practicing to DMC videos. And I went over to his house, and he did the run DMC, just made the motherfucker up last night, just fucked your mother last night into this juggling routine. I was like, oh, my God, he's gone. And then he managed to figure out how to incorporate it into a party set. And then I was just like, fuck this. I was salty for like a month, but then I had to just give it up. Yo, that's so funny. As I, I wrote AM down on my list of things to ask you about because I, I didn't know what level of close you guys were. It's, it's funny. He's someone who, when I watch old videos of him, yeah, like I just makes me want to quit. 
Like I'm just like, oh, he oh, he's we, insane. We were so close. I mean, before Serato came out, he used to call me on the way to gigs, having like a, a meltdown, like really, like I don't know what to do. I've been playing the same fucking records, the same five crates. I don't even know, like I have it, and I'm like, dude, just take a breath. Everyone loves you. You're so fucking best at this because he was still really great and he was doing crazy routines with like 45s. But Serato came and it just opened this creative palette for him that he could just do insane shit that he probably had dreamt about but could only get this close to with the shit. And and then and he was just he was just insane. His skills were on another level. Dude, it's crazy how little how short a time he was around kind of after the technology fully changed. Like he was only around for a few more years. To really yeah. get to enjoy it. But but like there's like a in the way that there's like a before the Beatles and an after Beatles era of like fucking music and before Michael and after Michael, there's a before AM and an after AM. Like any totally kid agree. who can cut their ass off and is doing this sort of I hate the word open format. It makes me want to slip my fucking wrist, but it's it's like anybody who's yes, playing across the board and incorporating some rock and roll i mean to be honest some of the shit was pretty cheesy to me like as a new yorker i thought like i am not i don't under the bridge downtown beverly hills by weezer those those are not in the same realm as like back in black by acdc to me which is essentially a breakbeat but but what they were doing was so fucking creative and 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 he was just such a i remember like djing the the dynasty rock la familia album release party in that's LA. A, that was a big quiet flex that you just had keep going for this podcast right. for the yeah. i don't know if you know this but uh one of our hosts cypher sounds used to dj for lil kim and that was a very I, quiet flex Continue. okay well yeah because uh somebody who when you guys did the uh jay-z you found the jay-z at summer jam video mm -hmm. someone on that same site sent me a link to me being interviewed by some fucking mtv dude at that party and i'm like I, I can't tell if I'm like feeling myself, but it's like, I just feel like I, of course I'm here in front of a giant poster of Jay-Z. This is what I do. But, um, but you really did do that a lot at that point, right? I did. I was like Jay and Puff's like probably favorite. They love certain DJs for some of the more rowdy parties, but like I was their favorite downtown album release. I was their guy. Uh, um, and, uh, and AM got on and he just played like one song, but it was like the most underground, like, it was, uh, I can't even say it because the words are so filthy in the first line of the song. But uh, but yes, he was, AM had incredible taste and knew his shit. I mean, he was from Philly originally. Like, but uh, anyway, he was just the fucking, the best to ever do that. You know, and I think, I think there's actually no one more suited to say this than myself. I sort of think in a lot of ways, when you think about that era, you, AM and A-Track are like the holy trinity of Jewish DJs in the in, in, in hip hop. Thank you. I mean, you would definitely be, you know, wouldn't you be in there? What's the next thing? Uh, well, yeah, if you add like loudmouth personalities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, this this is like, you know, I came up after Stretch. Uh, you know, Stretch was a hit, his own thing. Let's not forget. Obviously, I don't need to tell you. You're talking to a radio show host. <laughs> right. But he, I, I, I like definitely hero worshipped him. Stole, but he was the era from, before you. He, he, he the tr you did, you did come up. You were in the clubs. Yes, you were in the club simultaneously. But, but yo, you opened for him. That says it I, all. Yes, you yes, were the so kid. I opened, I opened for him. But what I did was, I, I had that rock and roll shit in my background a little bit anyway because I grew up playing in bands and my stepdad's in Farner and 
I just want to see how far I could push it. Like I was playing at Cheetah on a Monday night. And like, I remember just thinking like, I wonder if I can get away with playing ACDC and the Benjamins was out and it was the biggest record. And there was that sort of cheesy rock and roll remix. And I was like, if I go to the biggie verse at the rock remix, right on that biggie verse, no one's going to stop dancing, even if it's fucking guitars, because it's biggie. And this is the biggest record. And uh, I remember it right, doing it right there. And then right, it goes, it's all about the Benji's now. And looking at this crowd of like, you know, it was Cheetah on Mondays was a pretty hood crowd, like still dancing and almost smiling. Like, wait, I can't believe we're still dancing, but fuck it. Like, this is kind of dope. And then getting out of there fast enough. And then other times I would play it and kind of like, you know, some drug dealer would tap me on the shoulder and turn around and be like, what are you playing, white boy? A lot of the times it, it would work and it was fun. And then um, I hated the the mashup movement because the mashup was like putting this, this kind of name on, on these more cheesy, gimmicky mixes. But mixing instrumentals over acapellas was always really exciting. But you, but you, you know, tapped into something very important there, which is a distinction that's hard to point out of that line when it becomes cheesy. Because... You know, like AM was a master to me at riding that line. And like, I would think he was actually playing something that to me would cross into too cheesy, but his cutting would be so sick on top of it that I'd go, fuck, he makes it work because he's that good. But if he just played that record, I'd be good on it. No, that's the only thing. That's what made it. It was just the skills and the cutting over it for sure. Like throwing California from the OC over breakbeat into California love and just like the way you string it together for sure. But uh, when Jay-Z go on, 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 I just want to love oh. you. When Jay-Z goes through his list of clubs that he parties at. No, so ghetto. So ghetto. He goes, uh, Wednesday um, nights up, up in shine. Cheetahs Monday night. Yep. I'm fucking with the model bitches Friday night at life. All my gigs. <laughs> to be fair, to, yes. to be how do you think I sold my book proposal? I put that shit at the top. Um, to be fair, to be absolutely fair, Cheetah was Jules's night and I would just fill in when he needed to go to the toilet or he went on vacation. But I love that party. And that was, that was great because DJ Jules is some English DJ who really understood funk classics and, and hip hop so well. He, he set a real tone and a vibe for that party. But whenever he was away, I was- Who was who doing Bublin and Dublin? That was a cheesy bar in L.A. that you've probably driven past. Really? Uh, I think it's just after House of Blues on the right. Um, and Dublin's was like. Oh, yes, I've heard, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and AM might have been doing uh, Dublin's a couple of times as well. Obviously, like your hip hop knowledge is is non pariah but um, every now and then when you guys are talking about some shit and you're like, you didn't know what Happy Land was on You, Me, Kevin, uh, Her. Dude, and I'm that, like, was, that was, that was just, a rough moment for me. Every now and then I'm just like, wow. And I, and I'm just like, I mean, I have to just admit that it's cause I'm really old and like, you could just no, and you, and but re- you lived here then too. You, yeah, you old and a New Yorker. So old and a New Yorker. I'm, um, I would, I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, it pains me now that those things still exist because I'm, I've now been here so long that I wish that I had all of them, but I just don't. But, but happy lamb was like, 87 like i don't even know why i knew happy land but probably revisiting it through the song i was listening to rock the familiar and like 900 hustler you me him and her like that era of those beats and obviously i was always partial to freeway like that's just incredible some of the music on there really holds up some of it is just 
great because it's nostalgic. But uh, no, I you're right. It's it's a split yesterday. though. It's a split. Um, do you ever think about this tune right here? I know it's probably coming in and out. I'm only getting the acapella. Was that like some weird thing like phasing coming down the line? I don't I don't know why there's some I'm having some problem with the zoom where it's not taking it. But no, it's the main Kenny Dope version. Yeah, yeah, no. Incredible. I've been thinking about all these records that like I don't even know if that's on DSPs, but like I don't think it is. Some of the biggest records that I would play like when I started out were like Frankie Cutler's Puerto Rico, Do Up, The Bounce Master, like just records that were not records that were just party jams that were bigger than the fucking like half of your of your set uh time zone by africa bombada you know the zulu war chant with mm-hmm. the with the real love thing like spread love break get up clap your hands oh. kenny dope had so many of those actually he the, was ma- the master of the masters of work get up shit is yeah, so yeah. fucking good it sounded so good in the club or do you have a relationship with kenny dope i do i mean of course see, he was somebody like i probably opened for a couple of days when i was you know a couple of times when i was starting out so i'm sure like I was, I had no ego to like give big, like puppy dog energy. Like all those guys I looked up to Clark stretch. Some of them found it annoying. Kenny dope. Um, wait, 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 and wait, just found what annoying your puppy dog energy. Maybe a little like stretch. I think of Fred in the beginning was just like, okay, I get it. I get it. You went to my high school. You look up to me. It's like, I just stand like one foot back. <laughs> but um, yeah, Kenny dope was a, was a hero. Even the guys like, uh, I don't know if this was, Across your world so much but like Armand Van Helden and like oh, uh, yeah. some of the huge house guys like would come to the little hip hop spots and their nights off and I couldn't believe these guys like Roger Sanchez who were playing like 10,000 people in Ibiza who I'd heard of because I you know I went back to England to see my dad once a year were like coming to these little little spots of, you know I, I, I was around a lot of those DJs coming up and just sponging as much as I could I watched your TV show on Apple. I saw your episode with Premiere. Um, yes. Is he your, is he like the, I mean, it's like almost obvious. It's almost cliched that someone like you or me, it's like, he's our God, but is, is Primo like God? Of course. The first beat that I ever got paid for was this remix for Ebony Foster, this R&B singer on MCA. And they got sauce money to do a verse on it. Because he was on MCA at the time. Yeah. And okay. Do you have, is there any chance of playing it? Cause you, I just mm-hmm. want you to mm-hmm. play it to see if you can, you will what, hear how big a dick rider you are of Primo. You're just like, you're just like, wait, what, what did you do here? What's First the song all, called? It's called everything you do. Ebony Foster. Got it. With the, Got with it. The it was it, the era of like oh, Mark taking, Ronson remix featuring sauce money. Yeah. It was the era of taking a big hip hop record you liked and making it very R and beat out on the Trinity, but you'll just listen to this and be like, excuse me. You know, I mean, it's like, what did I, I just re-chopped this, it's just, and it's got like the big kick and snare, like the real, like, track masters or like whatever was going on, Puff Daddy and the Hitman, and I was just literally, but what's so funny is But it's the, the same time, year, it's the same year that, that it came oh. out. It's it's just a it's just a blend essentially with yeah. a fucking mark tree and a triangle in it. But um, the crazy shit is that by the time 
the first record that I did that really hit was this Nika Costa record, Like a Feather. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, a, a little longer, I developed my sound a bit, but to me, I was still being a premier clone. So when I played that for the first time, I was actually DJing the D'Angelo Voodoo album release party at this club, Centrify. Nika was on the same label. Some wasn't out yet, but I, I decided to throw it on. And Premier came into the booth and I'd never met him yet. And he's, he's, I'm like, oh no, here it goes. He's going to come here and fucking serve me a summons. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> and he stands there and he goes, he goes, what, what, what is, what's this record? And I was like, I was just stumbling anyway. Cause it was Premier, my hero. He's standing three feet from me. I'm like, uh, it's, uh, it's Nika, Nika Costa. Sorry. He's like, who did this beat? And I was like, oh God, he's going to just slap me. Like what's, I said, uh, it's, 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 I, I did it sir and he just then goes into this head knob for two and a half minutes like this shit is hard and you know it's crazy when you rip someone off a lot of times and i've noticed this not with me specifically ripping people off but like the person you think you're ripping off doesn't always hear it it's a weird interpretation of your your understanding of what they do i mean other than that song you just played which was a total jack but <laughs> i think that you know it was yes of course for so long i was just like I got an MPC. I got, I chopped drums in a certain way and I still wasn't even doing it right. When Premier told me that he never even used the metronome while he's programming the drums on that episode, I would, it blew my mind like 30 years later. Yeah. He's, he's a, such a freak still. I mean, like I still so great. The last record it's like, I love the last the sound, record. Something about his specific sound is like Motown. And I can't, I don't even want to try and describe what it is, but there's certain sounds that are, that will never go old because they're the best version of a, some kind of analog sound. And they will just, it will sound just as good. People will be chopping the same kind of drum breaks that Primo was doing for some pop shit 30 years from now. There's just certain thing, you know, no offense, but you listen to a lot of jiggy nineties productions from the late nineties. You know, when you're going through, I can't remember whose catalog, even pun, like and I'm definitely the hugest pun fan, but certain records from that thing with a lot of triangles and shakers like they just won't age well it's like guns and roses it's like there's a certain thing that's added to the sound to process to makes it too much fixed in an era mm. but something about premiere shit is just so raw so unadulterated and like a lot of great producers from that era tip stuff from that era pete rock lord finesse whoever but it's just it will never date because it's just it's not adulterated it's just like it is that thing. now it do you are you like cypher sounds in that you prefer the first era of Primo? Cause like Sife really isn't as into the second era of Primo as I am. Like I'm, I'm very, cause when I was a college radio DJ in 97, that's when I was every single B side Primo was doing. I was getting the vinyl playing on my show and I was into all of it, but Sife yeah, was but already transitioning and was kind of like, ah, I like the old premiere. No, 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 Because, because what, first of all, I'm sure he's not talking about like, love sick and like these are the words i manifest he's talking about like kicking the door which is already like a second era of premiere to the third era that thing to me is still like rappers are in danger and yeah all the like you said all the b-sides and i still loved it just as much and i love the gangstar records from that era i mean what year is all for the cash that's got to be 98 like yeah, like, come on, like, I, yes. <laughs> no, I'm no, still... and by the way, it just should be noticed because Sife would be upset. All for the Cash may be like his favorite Gangstar song. He, yeah, yeah, he yeah. adores that song, but yeah. he doesn't like the quick scratch hook primos. I know, and, and I, know. I do. I, 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 listen, some of them, was he just giving them out like, hey, I'll give you this one. I'm. A, it felt like that to some extent, but I actually enjoy almost all of them. 
Because even if the words are sometimes like, yeah, you know that, like, it doesn't matter. It's the percussive way that he's cutting him up that makes that scratch an instrument. Like Stevie Wonder to me is a singer, but his voice is also like an instrument. Like, it doesn't really matter what he's saying. It's just like a beautiful fucking trumpet solo. Do you know what album celebrated 25 years last week? Oh, yeah, you know, shit is wild. Can't I, I'm going to go ahead and call this one of the great underrated rap albums of all time. Uh, do you know what you guys could do? You could actually do a name that tune show because it's so hard to hear whatever you're playing on that end. That <laughs> anyone know. who could know that would have to be such a fan. Well, the funny thing is when I'm recording it, it's perfect for the audience. So they'll hear it like it's perfect. Yeah. And now I sound like an idiot because it took me five seconds to guess group home. But like if you heard what I was hearing, it's like. It's little. It's like under a swimming pool, under a bank, under a nightclub where the DJ's playing it. It's fucking. Crazy. No, no, it's awful. And by the way, so much so that it's not group home. I'm, I'm sad. I can't leave you out here like this. What the fuck is it? It's I can't o- hear. It's OC, my world. Oh my god! See, like it sounded like every day. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yo, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, but yeah, I, this I, this album has some great premiere. That's, is that the second album? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This joint with Freddie Fox. When Freddie Fox started going by Bumpy Knucks for the first time. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. I hope you're enjoying those songs. I can only imagine how great they sound. Um, I love... I love love and affection for the America is dying slowly thing. That was a real weird, like, B-side of OC. But that was just such a great... Beat. I'm such a sucker for a vibraphone. Yo, I I, I have a question. First of all, even by Juan Epp standards, I wonder how much people remember America's Dying Slowly. Yeah. The only thing that people would remember from America's Dying Slowly, which, by the way, conceptually, it's crazy that it even exists. Yeah. But the only thing they'd remember is this. Oh wow! Is that I can only imagine. Is that Lost Boys? That's Lost Boys. The okay. yearn. Yes, I can that's hear right. A little bit of like freaky tie, like in my tiny <laughs> bit of my right headphones. Yeah. Um, so, but that's so crazy because so for anyone listening who has no idea what we're talking about, they came out with a compilation and called "America Is Dying Slowly AIDS," and it was about it was rap artists doing songs, some of which about the topic at hand, and. I think it was all to raise money. I believe it was all. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was, right? It was, it was the same people that did the Red Hot and Blue, but it was like their hip hop version of it. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So it was a charity album, but like, it's just interesting because I have it. Did you get the vinyl? Like, it's, it's Yeah, a, of course. I played, I'm sure I played one or two of the songs in the club. Yeah, like it was, it was good, but it's also yeah. was so, it was like inherently depressing. Like you look at the jacket and no, it was a course, little depressing at all times. Um, uh, it's, it's. I remember you. You shouted out the new Black Thought Danger Mouse record, and I was yeah. thinking to myself, of really funny, interesting, uh, very nerdy hip hop trivia is that Renee is one of Danger Mouse's favorite hip hop records, which is just something I never would have guessed. I thought that was kind wow. of purple. And what you had that came up in conversation with him? Yeah, I think we we're just talking about Lost Boys, and he he always whenever we talk about that song, he always jokes about the line. Shawty's in law school, which means she studied law. What's the line? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She wants to be I a lawyer. It. In other words, Shorty studies law. 
Yeah, I, I mean, listen, those songs, lights, camera, action, all his guest appearances. Like, I mean, I was such a sucker for. I mean, Lost Boys. Lex Coopsie was in the Benz probably a little before your time, and probably you were more underground. But that no, was no, no, no. I was biggest song. Oh, and I, I had this. I, I, okay, yes, you're correct. I was more into like the lifestyles, of the rich and shameless remix than I was. You know, but I like Jeep's Lex Coop Beam is in Benz. I couldn't believe when Flex started going crazy on Jeep's Lex Coop's Beam is in Benz. I just, to me, I, at the time, it sounds stupid in retrospect. I don't know how you felt, Mark. I didn't think of it as a hit. Like, it right. didn't feel like a commercial smash to me. Yeah. Um, and and music makes me high, which is still one of the worst mastered and pressed records. To this what day. the like, fuck is up a, with that song? song how could it be that a song that was so huge and, and like it was just like bounce rock skate, like it probably sounded incredible in the studio, like just was like a tiny clock radio speaker by the time you yeah. got in the club. And it would still go off. It didn't matter. No, but you're right. To me, what, with the second you mentioned that, I remember I felt like whenever I was DJing, it made you think the balance in your headphones was off. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're playing like an old Prince record where he's only singing in one side and yeah. he's doing the crazy delay vocal. And you'd be like, you'd be at the night like, okay, I can't play it after Tracy Lee, the theme, because that is so loud that people will just think it's, the speakers went out. By the way, I'm glad you brought that up. Since we're sitting here talking club records with Mark Ronson, I mean, the theme doesn't get its real due for how much of a knocker that was at the time. It's not a recurrent, you know, it's a weird Why? thing, certain records. I know it was, it was, it's got all the elements. It sounds incredible. It's sampling an older school record. It's it's odd which ones. I mean, maybe it goes off sometimes when I hear Cypher or some of the time. DJs. And you're not going to hear it again. Are you ready to not hear the song? Party yeah. The, okay. Having party. Tracy is a, a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. She studied law. And I feel so bad because Tracy had that verse from Big on Keep Your Hands High. One step beyond. And I feel like no one realizes his song. Yeah. Check it out. Wow, if you guys don't know, this was a big New York club record. This just sounds like when people, when you download the Billie Jean acapella online and it's like the crazy one where the guy just fucked with his RCAs to get the acapella out. Uh-huh. That's what the music sounds like. <laughs> Yo, man, are you enjoying uh, this is so generic and I generally don't care what people feel about this, but I do with you. Um, where are you at? Ugh, I, I want to cringe even asking it because I get asked so much and don't have anything to say. Uh, are you fucking with new shit right now? Where are you at with the hip hop today? Oh, boy. Uh, I, you know, I, I would I, listen. I'm not playing four or five nights a week in the clubs. I mean, I'm barely playing, you know, one gig like that a month, but so I don't have to be up on it every now and then I try and immerse myself in it and like play some of the new records of the drill shit. And people just, I have this theory that like the crowd has a sixth sense to tell if a record is you or not when you play it. Uh, and it you. could be a record that the DJ after me to play and people go crazy for, it, but it's just like, and maybe it's because people associate me now with a certain kind of music. What I find myself doing a lot is just like making edits of my own remixes of some of the new shit so I can like make it palatable to me. But I, I, I don't, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I like kind of put a new record into the set, you know? 
what is a Mark Ronson set generally like? I know you don't like the word open format, but you, you're you're everything. You're playing at this point. Yeah, at this point, like when I play, I'm playing like good funk disco. Gold. I mean, Golden Era is so weird because I realize when I say Golden Era, I think of like '92 to or '94 to '99, and most people when they say Golden Era, they're talking about like Kane, Cold, Chilling, '88 to '92. So yeah, whatever. I just, hear you. Just that, just shit that I love. I, I kind of play fucking everything, and then I'll make edits of like a new Drake or a Beyonce song or something, so I can play it. And if there's something new, that what do you mean you'll like, make a new edit? What will you do to it? I'll just find the stems and just make my own version of it. If it's like, just, you know, just break it down to like, you know, just different. Just so, is that just so you can play a hit record, but also give it its own feel? Yeah. Just so when it feels, when I play it, it doesn't look like I'm just kind of like chasing the fucking Spotify. And also you're kind of like, honestly, you don't, I, I, I don't think you have the luxury like I got booked for a wedding. I, I never, I never DJ these days, but I'm doing a wedding this fall. Um, the the groom is like a big fan of mine, and so the the fiance asked me if I do it. I said sure. So I'm doing this wedding, and like I have the luxury of like I'll show up, I'll, I'll I'll practice a little bit before and try to get my shit together. But I can just play hits, and no one's gonna think anything except like, oh, Rosenberg was here. We had a good time, played good song. You have an expectation of like somewhat of a musical journey. I feel like during a a DJ set. I do. And I, I still fucking, it doesn't matter if I'm playing like 200 people, 10,000 people at a festival. I still get like the fucking crazy, like just the panic attack nerves before. And I have to know what the first three songs are. And I have to be doing something interesting. And usually I try and work out some mixer blend. That's like just difficult enough that I could maybe fucking fall on my ass. Like I need the weird, the, the nerves and the thing of mixing two records that are not on, click and whatever like so it's, it's still this thing that i have to walk this tightrope which is nuts but yeah i have to feel like i'm i, I can't I, my worst fear is like doing a decent enough job and knowing that like anyone could have played that night that they could go home and just be like that was very nice i really danced all night like i i need to know that they like it had to be me and that that is a fucking that has a good side and a bad side too because sometimes you could just be playing for a a crowd that knows what's up that's cool and you're just trying so hard to smash oh it's them in it's the face. it is there is it's, nothing worse than trying to keep up with a cool crowd and you're in your own head about it and you're like uh they all know like uh, like i've had gigs that i did when i first started getting really into 45s mark it's so cringe now that i think about it when i started getting into the 45s which is now jesus it's like 10 eight nine years ago but when I first started doing it you know I wanted to get out right away because I was all excited by 45s all of a sudden so I'm going to these parties that are done by the other people who are into 45s they must have thought I was such a fucking disgrace because what did you play? like I just generic shit that I could yeah. find on 45 because I just yeah. found the novelty of 45s as a yeah. kid who grew up with 12 inches and like wasn't a dance hall DJ I didn't have any understanding yeah. of it all I just was lost. And not only that, I find it hard to do to this day. If I play a 45 set in a venue out, do not expect a lot of like DJ scratch could go to the park and on a wobbly table blend 45s. If I'm at a venue with like, and it's very loud, I'm just hoping to like seamlessly drop one record in after another. That's all I'm going for on 45. 
this book that I'm writing now, and I'm not trying to plug it too hard because who knows when I'll be finished, but I hope you'll enjoy it because basically it's not just about the 90s and the club scene because that obviously was very fun, but I don't know if anybody's really written the book about the pathology of the DJ, like how we think about shit. I think about certain things like, okay, in a nightclub you have room A, which is this wonderful room and like everybody's having the greatest time and they're dancing and sweaty and there's sexual energy, platonic energy, all this shit going on. And there's room B, like a fucking closet with tatted carpet and no one's going to come in and someone might ask you every five hours if you want another vodka and cranberry. But th- we've all said we're room beers, right? Yeah. And obviously everybody for different reasons. Some of it's ego, some of it's your fucking introvert. So there's, that's stupid to even try and list because we know everybody has a combination of those reasons. But think like that and just the coming home after a gig what what you said made me think about it i talk about coming home after a gig and like it doesn't you cannot fall asleep for at least two hours you come off at three in the morning you are lying there now that i'm a grown-up i'm lying there trying not to wake my wife up in bed and the only thing that i can picture is like the girl who just looked at me like when i played hip hop parade which maybe that's not the right record but i just went a little too far oh i know i just went too broad you know like when you just when you when you've got it all i'm not talking jump around but i'm just talking like <laughs> that one record just a bit too far and on all that's replaying I, I, like a fucking gif in your head it's the girl that just looked to you it's like oh really yeah hip hop parade, parade huh mm, i guess yeah, that's what that's you th- where we're at huh and, and you know what's hard it's hard because we all have records like that that we like And you're banking on you either have to have you're either banking on that other people feel the same way or that they think you're cool enough that you're going to make them rethink that record when they hear it. It's wonderful to watch some of the records come back around now, like Scrubs, which is something that I'm sure I put to bed for 15 years. And that's a re- that's an example of a record. I'll get the stems, make a nice drop out of it. So it's like just the roads. And if you had a show that you don't, you know, yep. the things just making them like a different experience than maybe just playing the record. I will go out and see a kid play a record, a 23-year-old kid play a record that I didn't know that you could bring back already that to me might have been cheesy. And to see mm-hmm. people go fucking ape shit to him and be like, oh, cool. Like, that's the other thing. Like, I'll be in the studio. Like, somebody young will come in, a Travis or uh, I, whoever, and I'll think that, like, oh, I've got to make something with 808 to make it loud. And like, how do I bring my shit to their shit? And they'll just, just before I'm about to play my beat, just play me what they're working on up to that point. And it's all break beats and shit that I would love to be doing that I would have done 25 years ago, but would never think to do it. And it would seem derivative and I wouldn't know. And that's probably the point that only a 22 year old should be doing that. Correct. Now is what makes it fresh. I often think about that with Tyler. You know, Tyler, when, when I, first started interviewing him and he would make fun of me and be like, you old motherfucker, you're so old. You like old shit. You old, old, old. Substitution drums. The <laughs> substitution drums. And and now like yeah. it's literally, he got DJ drama a Grammy putting drama on his album. Like yeah. he went completely retro, but and it's so much cooler drums. coming from him. And the lumberjack drums are substitution. No, of course. But I think that's the thing. Like, it's like, it has to be that generation to reinterpret it. And like every now and then I'll take, I'll take something if, if, if one of those young guys wants to hook an old guy up, you know, I totally got catfished by that Tyler. Do you see when Tyler got hacked? No. He tweeted. Oh, uh, I got a, I got a message from a, a fake Chris Clancy account. You know, Tyler's man no. said, Hey, Tyler's been, Tyler's been, uh, you know, really would love to get in the studio with you. He's been thinking about 
uh, he's a big fan of stuff that you've done and uh, you no. know, love, to, love to play where the record's at. Um, wait, 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 anyway. wait, wait. When was this? When was this? It's like two months ago. But that's totally believable. Maybe. I mean, I've met him a couple of times. He's always friendly. But uh, but of course, it's going to my ego like, oh, I guess there's some tricks left in this old guy yet. You know, like, <laughs> I'm back, baby. So uh, so I send it to. Uh, Don't think I just ha- make Lady Gaga music. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, I'm back, baby. <laughs> and I, I send it to my friend Harley and I'm kind of like pretending to play down the, the, the brag part. I'm like, yeah. what do you think? What kind of stuff should I do? Like, like, da, 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 da. And he's like, I don't know, bro. And then he just sends me back the screenshot of a tweet from Tyler that says, Hey, real sorry. Someone's hacked into my account, pretending to be my manager, soliciting stuff. We never send emails. We always call just no. And I was like, Oh wow. That's crazy. Yo, I, had some, that I was is, about to go and make the fire. That is, <laughs> that is fucking I mean, I'm sorry it takes such pleasure that someone so successful could have that happen to them is hilarious. Because I would have totally bought it. Yeah, why Why wouldn't Tyler hit you up? Come on. That's what I was thinking. Apparently not. <laughs> and I think I even posted like a tweet back to his thing, like with like probably like a fishing expedition on my part. Like, oh man, I had to fire. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets back. Yo, that is unbelievable. You know what? I'll let you go right there because that's fucking fantastic. Um, when you finally get ready for your book or any other time you feel like coming on when Sipes here, there's a lot more from the clubs to talk to. I didn't ask you really for any Jay-Z stories. I, I didn't get to ask you at all about, you have a ton of step siblings, by the way, you have like 19 step siblings, but specifically Samantha and your impact on her as a DJ and your guys kind of DJ relationship. I mean, it is public information. It's on your Wikipedia page, but you and I have the same gimmick. You are also divorced. You are, yeah. you, are you are in the divorced gang. Uh, yeah, and the remarriage. Congratulations, you just got married, right? No, the got honey- engaged. Okay, so Cuba was not a honeymoon. No, Cuba was not okay. a. It was on a sneaky honeymoon. We're still, okay. we're still just engaged. Yeah. But you're. How, tell yeah, me, is is marriage well. number two? Is marriage number two what it's all about? It's it's all it's it. It's the, the wifey for lifey. It's great. It's like we know what we did wrong. There were reasons. Nobody was at fault. But it's just like it's. This is the grown up. This is. What's wonderful, I needed to be married the first time so I could be single probably when I met this amazing fucking dream woman of my life. So that, that's okay. Really that that feels very good. And and by the way, it's, it's similar to how I describe my relationship with Max Ending, except I, I think everyone was at fault. But um, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. if you ask DJ Academics, he has a whole different theory on exactly what happened there. Wow. But um, Mark, it is a pleasure. We truly appreciate um, that you're like such a supporter of the podcast. It just, it makes, it makes both of us feel very cool. We appreciate it. I joined Patreon for you guys. Too. I know. I didn't, even, I didn't even know what it was. Billy June just right. did the research. You're still paying for Patreon. Cause I was going to feel bad if you'd quit. Or if I was like worried, Mark Ronson couldn't afford seven fifty a month. I was like, shit, the, the, the shallow and uptown funk checks would have really dried up, you know? And the numbers are going up. You guys keep saying that's good. They are. They're going up. A nice, nice I'm, renaissance for the show. Yeah, I'm feeling that way. I'm a little disappointed that like I had another special guest I was working on for today and I was hoping he'd come on at the same time as you and it would have been a great combination, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you'll hear when he pops up and be like, that would have been cool. All right, sweet. Mark, thank you, dude. Of course. Later. Later, dude. The great Mark Ronson, Juan Epp loyalist. What a fucking interesting dude. And there's so much more shit, but like, I didn't want it to go into like full interview zone. I was trying to make it more like uh, an episode of just me and Sife shooting the shit. 
So it turned out great. Um, uh, I want to give a shout out to myself who had the idea to contact Mark. Tremendous idea. Um, and shout out to Billy June and Emilio for holding things down on the production side. And tomorrow night I'm recording a Patreon episode with a special guest. That'll be fun. Hopefully people don't think we have too many white people on this week. I do want everyone to know the other special guest I was going for tonight was not white. In fact, multiple non-white people turned down guest appearances on one app. Okay. So I was relegated to white people. I just want to be clear. So everyone knows. Um, but yeah, shout out to all of our patrons and everyone who's uh, going to be joining Patreon so you can join the likes of uh, of Mark Ronson. Sife, hope you're having a great time with LL Cool J. Come back and do the show sometimes, you piece of shit. Later, guys.